Lord. Your grace is amazing. I look around the room here, Lord. I think about those people that you saved out of darkness and brought them into light. And you got to say, your grace is amazing. How you would take enemies of yours and make them your friends. And here we are, friends, not just with some high-ranking political official, but we are friends with the king of all creation. Your grace is amazing. Thank you, Lord. What would we do without you? You've been our lives. You've been our life for years, decades. And you will be our God for eternity. Lord, today, we all know that your grace is amazing. brought us out of darkness to light from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. We were enemies and you made us your friends and now we're kings and queens in your kingdom because of what our Savior Jesus has done. Your grace is amazing, Lord. From this moment on to the rest of our lives, we rededicate ourselves to you. We want to hear when we get to the kingdom we want to hear those beautiful words that our Lord said in one of his parables. Well done, my good and my faithful servant. We all long to hear that because you are our God. And we fell in love with you years ago. And we want the world to fall in love with you, Lord. And that's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we witness that's why we do our best to obey. Lord, today, be glorified at Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. Be glorified in everyone's life that is attending here and those listening over the Internet and those that will listen down the road over the Internet. Lord, put our priorities right within your church and let our hearts gravitate towards you and only you. Be glorified, Lord. Lord, as we study your word here this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like I taught last week in 1 John 1 through 1, 1 through 1 through 3, how John was saying, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. And no doubt, they hugged you and they kissed you. And that's the kind of reality, Lord, that the church needs today, that I need today, the reality of who you are. Drive it home to our hearts today and let us continue in faithfulness to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. For those who just tuned in, you're, you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani, and we're glad you're, you're there. Um, 
Since you're on our website, freedomchurchpb.org, you can hear past services from years back, you know, I don't know, five to nine years. I think we lost a few in the beginning years, but, um, you know, you can tune into any messages that might, might uh, hit your heart, and hopefully God will speak to you. If you want to uh, continue to bless Freedom Church with your tithes and offerings, we can just, you can just go to joe at freedomchurchpb.org, joe at freedomchurchpb.org, and if your, chur- if your bank has Zelle, then you can just donate that way. We're going to keep the gospel moving, regardless of where we're at or what we're doing. We've never been told to retire from, from preaching the gospel. You know, we're never told to retire from being a Christian. You know, you're going to continue right to the very end. Right to the very end. So, and if you want to talk with me, you can just call me on my cell phone, which is 561-601-1130. 561-601-1130. Listen, today I'm going to be teaching from the Bible as always. I'm going to do what I call the greatest message of all time, which you've got, you all you know if you're a believer, and if you aren't a believer, this is the greatest message of all time. It's not that you had a promotion. It's not that you bought a new house. The greatest message of all time is God sent his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I'm going to take you a trip from Genesis all the way to the resurrection very quickly, you know, uh, today as we, as we move on. And after the message, we're going to have communion today together as a family of God. So for those on the internet, after the message, please make sure you have a little bit of juice and, uh, you know, uh, a, a piece of bread, cracker, whatever you have at home, and please have fellowship and communion with us. And that's what we learned last week in 1 John 1, 3, that our fellowship would be with him and, and his father and with each other and with, with his father through Jesus Christ. So our fellowship is in him. So, Today's message is the greatest message of all times. And Matt will going to be up after we do communion. Matt's going to come up. He's going to close us out in two more songs. So stick around, okay? And don't leave early if you don't have to, okay? Um, so that's about it. I'm glad you're all here today. Um, I love it when I see the, you know, the people here, and I know there are people who are on the internet also. So, the greatest message of all time. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I like the one version, the way it said it. It says, I have a message of first importance. First importance. This is the greatest message of all time. You're going to hear it. You're going to see it from Genesis all the way to the resurrection today. You know, explain it quickly. You know, it's not, we're going to look at Bible verses and all that, but, but it's going to, you're, you're going to see Jesus from Genesis all the way to the resurrection and even into the, the uh, eternity. But God created man. You all know that. And he placed him in a beautiful garden. No bugs, no Nothing that was ugly or could kill them. There's no weeds. And they were commanded to do a job, which is take care of the garden. 
I don't even know how long it took place. You know, how long did they care for the garden? Was it one day? Was it 10,000 years? But God gave them only one command. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch, don't eat its fruit. One command. And there were two trees in that garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. God said, don't eat from the tree of good and evil, but they lusted over it. And nobody says, nor does it say in the Bible, that it was an apple. It's some kind of fruit. It's all we know. They lusted over it. They saw it was delightful. It must have been beautiful to their eyes. And they saw that it was good for food because all the other trees in the garden were good for food, especially the tree of life if they ate from it. They ate because they lusted. It was delightful to their eyes. And it was good for food. And the devil sat there and put doubt in their minds. He, his strategy today has not changed. His strategy is doubt, denial, and deception. So he had Eve doubting. Did God surely say? With his evil, probably wasn't an evil tone like you'd be used to, kind of a sweet tone. And then he, you know, after they ate, you know, he said this to them. He wanted them to deny God. He's denying God. Surely you will not die. Surely you will not die. And that's a message for the world today. Surely you will die, because that's what God said. If you don't partake of the Holy Son that came and redeemed us. Surely you won't die. He's getting telling them to deny the Lord. And then the deception comes. God won't, doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you will become like him. You will know good and evil. What a lie. And people today listen to that deception. You will surely die, it is written in the Word of God. The wages of sin, the payment for your sin, is death. Followed by the promise, the good news, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The devil's strategy, doubt, denial, deception. If you see that, beware. The moment they ate, they began to physically die. They didn't die like you gave somebody arsenic and they drank it and pfft, they're dead. No, they began to physically die because they are triune beings. We learn that through the scriptures. I showed you so simply in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3. The spirit of, in the beginning, verse 1, God created. Verse 2, the Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the water. Verse 3, the word came, let there be light. Let there be light. God the Father, verse 1. God the Holy Spirit, verse 2. The word of God, Jesus Christ, verse 3. The word spoke, let there be light. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that, that um, let me turn it to you, for you. 5.23. 
Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. What is the complete you? Here it is. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of Christ. You can see you're a triune being. The early church had no problem knowing that the God was a triune being. God established that with Ananias and Sapphira. You will not lie to God, the Holy Spirit. We are a triune being, and their spirit began to die right there. Right there. Backwards they went. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 says this. God's saying that, Behold, all souls are mine. All souls are mine. Let me read you the rest of that verse. This is God talking. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. God owns your soul. And while I'm on that subject, I repeated it, I think, last week, maybe even the week before. But you can't sell your soul. People think, the devil tells you, you can sell your soul to me. No, you can't. That soul belongs to God. And the devil can't take it because it doesn't belong to him. Nor can you give it away because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. So the devil wins these arguments all the time. You sold your soul to the devil. No, you didn't. You can't because it wasn't yours to sell. Just like I can't give, I can't, um, let's see, if I give Bill my Bible, you know, he, he can't take it back. I mean, it's my, I mean, I can't take it back. I gave it to him. So he began to die in spirit. And that's where the, it, it began, right there. Because they became dead in spirit, God sent them away from the garden, as you will know, well, well know that. And he set cherubim with flaming swords in their hand to keep them from the, the uh, entrance to the garden. Because now the stench of sin was upon them. Most likely, and I think of it this way, if God would have let them back into the garden and they took some fruit from the tree of life, would they have lived in that fallen state forever? And God had to get them out of the garden real quick so they couldn't eat from that tree any longer since they sinned, or they might be eternally stuck in that fallen position. But God made sure he put angels there. Cherubim they were, and I say cherubim is plural, so it wasn't just one angel. A cherub is, an, is one. Cherubim is more than one. Could have been a hundred. The stench of sin was upon them, and God didn't. Now God wanted them out of the garden because they could live with that stench of sin all of their lives, and there could be possibly be no redemption because they would live in a fallen state, having eaten from the tree of life. Now that's not scriptural. That's my own idea. And I think that's what would have happened. Man would be lost forever. Now they were no longer able to walk in the garden with God. You know, they used to walk in the garden with God. 
Who were they walking with? No doubt it was the manifestation. He was walking with Jesus right in the garden. They were no longer able to walk with him in the garden. They couldn't see his physical presence anymore. He was hidden from them. Their eyes were darkened. They couldn't see him anymore. What, what a terrible thing to be walking with God one day and the next day he won't even look at you. They were now separated from God. His physical presence was no longer with them. They were now separated from God. There was a partition. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2 just a few weeks back. You know, there was a wall of separation. And God tore down that wall. And that, that's likened to the, the veil in the temple that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom, giving access to the holy of holies from the holy place. No longer did you have to send the high priest in there. You could go in there. That partition was broken down through Jesus Christ. And we were who were far off were brought near to God. They tried desperately, and man today tries desperately to wash their sins away, the stench of sin, but it can't be done with soap and water. It can only be done with blood. Let me read you Romans 5.12 for you. Therefore, just as though one man entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. I don't know about you guys, but I have no doubt agreeing with God that I was a sinner, and I am a sinner, saved by grace now, through faith in Jesus Christ. Death passed to all men, and that stench is still upon mankind, even, even to this day. Now, the whole world is full of sinful mankind. Seven, over seven billion people, almost eight billion people are in this world are full of sinful stench of sin. Some of us have been redeemed, and no longer do we stink like the stench of sin. What does it smell like anyhow? Probably sulfur, fire and brimstone? I don't know. Now, the whole world's full of sinful men. And the Bible tells us, that's, I just quoted it to you not too long ago, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. I don't care how holy you think you are, you are not holy unless you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And all, and all of this, the fall of man, God had a simple plan. Not a, simple, not a hard plan to, to do. It's very simple to save mankind. He wrote this book, Your Instructions for, for Going to Heaven. Where does the Bible go? Uh, basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's it. That's Bill's. <laughs> basic Instructions. But nobody reads it. They put it on their 
you know, it's the best-selling book of all time. Nothing has ever come close to the Bible, but many people just have it for decoration. They don't read it. It sits on their TV set collecting dust. And if somebody, I know when I was a kid, my mother would slap my hand because the Bible was on the coffee table or the TV set. It's a simple plan. You just got to read it. It's like putting a bicycle together without the directions. You're going to leave a bolt or a washer out somewhere along the line. And if you leave out Jesus Christ, you are doomed forever. A simple plan. God wrote this book. Most men, as I said, refuse to read it. And if, I, if, I, if anybody's encouraged today and never read the Bible, I encourage you, start in the Gospel of John and read the entire Gospel because that's going to tell you right off the bat who Jesus is. And John was one that laid his head on Jesus' breast. He was the one that always said, you know, that he was the disciple that God loved. He knew the love of God. And he told you, and last week, if you were here, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, he told you, I saw him, I heard him, I looked upon him, I gazed upon him, and wonder, how did he calm the sea with just a word? How did he heal the blind man by putting mud in his eyes? He saw and he knew. And then we got a book here to 40 different authors over 1,400 different, 1,400 years, all saying the same thing, all pointing to one man. It's a simple plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But nobody wants to read, nobody wants to read the, Second, the verse after that, which tells you the consequences if you, if you don't. Let's read verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't send the son to condemn you. He sent the son to save you. Verse 17, for God, um, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned to hell. You know what Matt was singing? I was on my knees in the back, and tears were running down my eyes, and I said, that would be hell. Being separated from God forever? What do you think Adam and Eve felt like when they bit off of that fruit, and, and now they couldn't see God face to face? It would be hell for them. They started their hell process right there. God was separated from them, although they did talk with them. They were able to. God said he's going to send his son. If you believe in him, you won't perish. You'll live forever. If you don't, you'll be condemned because the world's already condemned because they sinned. How do you get free from that? Well, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. God pronounced judgment on Satan. The seed of the woman will crush your skull and you'll bruise his heel. Talking about Messiah. Messiah would come. The seed of a woman, a virgin woman, according to Isaiah. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. All the credentials are there. He will crush your skull. And that's what we live 
today. You know, we, we live. Jesus crushed the skull of Satan at the cross. He just bruised his heel because Jesus just walked out of the tomb three days later. Okay? But that serpent is, is crushed. He wiggles his tail and tries to scare you. If he were an ant, he'd be an ant here and he'd take a flashlight, the kind that can burn so bright, cast an image on the wall like a scary creature. He's not a scary creature. He is a defeated foe already. He is already defeated. You know what? I was reading an article about um, Billy Graham's daughter. I forget her name now. And Graham Lott, right. She, she had a picture that her, her fish, she told a story where her and her family, I believe, went out into the woods and there was a, a, a rattlesnake there. And uh, one of the guys took a machete real quick and chopped off his head. But the little boy, he was infatuated, he wanted to go over and touch the, touch the snake. And dad's there, don't touch the snake. He's, he's, he's dead, but he's still going to you know, come after you. And that's true of snakes, you know, they, they do. You cut off their head and still they, they, they try to scare you even more. And that's what the devil's trying to do, to scare us. But he can't scare us. He's been defeated quite amazingly, quite totally. They purchase, these people purchase the Bible, put it on their coffee table. No other book compares to it. There's over 20,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, they had a complete copy of, of uh, Isaiah 53 with only a few stylistic changes. And it was a thousand years older than anything that was ever brought every in, in antiquity since then. A thousand years older saying exactly the same thing. Because God made sure he put Jewish scribes there that would copy. They were the Xerox machines of the past. They copied word for word, comma for comma, dot for dot. And because of that, we have a complete record of Messiah coming. And it's written right here in this book. Why did men fail to believe, read, read it? I don't know. I didn't read it till I hit the shores of Vietnam. Then I read it. I went like this, reading that Bible, because I knew it was something more than just words. It was God's Word. Why wouldn't we want to read God's Word? Why? I don't know. Even though the author is God, nobody cares. You'll read, you know, you'll read these different pastors out there, but you won't read God's Word. The Bible clearly tells us that all Scripture, not some, all Scripture is inspired by God. That's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. No prophecy, Peter says this, no prophecy of Scripture was ever written as an act of human will, but men led by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, or wrote from God, I should say. The Bible is the Word of God. I've had people question that over the, over the years. God's plan is simple. He made one door, one door in that wall of separation. 
and he's broken down that middle wall if you enter through that door, that middle wall of separation, and now you can have fellowship with God the Father. God's word says we're all welcome. He don't care if you're black. He don't care if you're white. He don't care if you're from Mars. If you're a sinner, you're welcome. He doesn't care if you're ugly. He don't care if you're pretty. He don't care if you're blonde or you have black hair. He doesn't care if you're fat or, or, or thin. He doesn't care if you have three arms and five legs. He wants you. He loves you. You're all welcome. But you must come through that door. Not if you want to. You must come through that one door. And that door spoke with us. And he said, I am the door. I am the name of God. I am, ego me, the door to heaven. Listen. Ego me, I me, I am. I, I am the door. See how much powerful that is? If you read it in the Greek. He said, I, I am the way. I, I am the truth. I, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And the scripture goes on, even in Acts 4, the disciples write down, and it was actually Luke wrote the book of Acts, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. So this is a message of first importance. You want to be saved from the penalty of sin? You have to come through the door. Peter says that there's, not, there's only one mediator between God and man, Lord Jesus Christ. Between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's all there is to it. You might as well do it now, willingly, than there later and being forced to. You're going to admit it anyhow, but you're going to lose the precious gift of salvation. Many men stop at this door, they peek in, they walk away. They say to themselves, this can't be. There's got to be other ways to heaven. I can work my way to heaven. I must be able, I have to do something to work to get to heaven. What you did, Jesus, wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, Jesus. I need to do something for you to go to, for me to go to heaven. No, you don't. All you have to do is believe. That's a verb. So you have to believe. And that doesn't mean, oh, I believe. It means... I believe. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give my life to you. I want, I want to show you to other people. Some enter that door and are saved, and some walk away. And God isn't pleased with those people that walk away. God, re you're rejecting his gift. God gave you his gift. How would you feel if you gave your spouse a Christmas present and she would refuse or he refused to open it. Would you be hurt? Absolutely. And you know what? God is hurt big time if you do not. James 519, last two verses of James's book, who's a half brother of Jesus, remember? 
Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and a multitude of sins. That tells you that believers walk away. It's time to come back, believer. Look at the world. Jesus is right at the door. I picture him, and I've said it from this pulpit many times, I picture him with his white stallion right there, with the reins in his hands, saying, Father, can I go now? Is it time? Is it time? And hop up on that, hop up on that horse and gallop through the skies, and every eye will see him. Is it that time? And all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. How simple can it get? Why, is it, why do you have to light a candle? Why do you have to not eat meat on a certain day? Why do you have to eat certain foods and this and that? Why do you have to look at a crystal or anything like that? All you need is Jesus. That's it. Bottom line. Nothing else. Nothing else. Romans tells you this, and you, you know it, if you've been a Christian any, for any time. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That simple. Confess, believe. Verse 10. Now, getting more specific for you. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Not this, this. Believes unto righteousness. And with your mouth, you confess unto salvation. I mean, first thing I did when I got saved 40-some years ago, 47, I called my parents, called my family. I told them who I was and what I did. And they didn't have kind words for me. And I was the only one in the family. And I read that, this book, and it changed my life. Well, God changed my life. And he can change yours. Some of you guys are in play, places where you don't want to be. Well, God can give you a second chance. You can be born again. You can be born again. And don't. Criticize those words. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. John chapter 3, verse 5 and 7. Born again. That means you're born spiritually. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they died spiritually? Their flesh lived on for 900 plus years. But they began to slowly die physically, and they already were spiritually dead. Well, you know what a spiritually dead person is in this world? He's a zombie. He's alive, but he's dead. So we got five and a, what, seven billion people out there that are zombies walking around. You think this is fake? It's true. Even Jerry Camp has a song, a song on that. You know, that he's the walking dead man. There's even a movie on it. That was done years back. 2 Corinthians. I love this verse. 
these verses. I love it. It's going to tell you about being sorry and having repentance hearts. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, Paul's writing this, Now I, Paul, rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Sorrows, if you're sorry you sinned, it's got to lead you to repent. Let's go on. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And then the key verse, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Sorrow, repentance, salvation. Judas was sorry. Peter repented. Difference. Where's Judas? The Bible tells us. It'd be, it'd be better if he were never born. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. And Peter repented. Scripture tells us that the Messiah, not only the seed of the woman, he will save us from the penalty of sin. Even Isaiah says, come on, people. Let's reason together. Though your sins were red as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be like wool. There's a way to get out of this. And Isaiah is telling the people. And God's telling us all through this book, 365 prophecies pointing to one man. He will come as a baby through a virgin in Bethlehem. Wise men will seek him. He'll be raised in Nazareth. He will deliver people from their sins. He will heal the sick. He'll raise the dead. He'll, he'll, he'll be crucified by his friends. They'll cast lots for his garments. He'll be buried in a rich man's tomb, but he's going to rise the third day. All these things. That's only a handful of 365 prophecies written in this Old Testament of this book. Just the Old Testament. And my favorite of all is Isaiah 51. Isaiah is trying to tell the people, wake up. I'm trying to tell the church, wake up. I don't care what church you go to. I'm telling the church to wake up. The church is not a building, it's people. Whether this is a church and the church up the road is a church, and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But God told us that there's penalty for the wrath for, for sin. Here's a penalty for it. And here's Isaiah talking to Israel. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hands of the Lord, and the cup of his fury, you have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling, and you have drained it out. In other words, I've, I've given, I, my, the cup of my wrath is very violent against you. You took it to the very end of the extreme. You, you licked the cup. 
You drank every drop. And this cup is a cup of trembling, and you drained it out. Then in the 22nd verse of this chapter, here's what, here's what it says. I'll read the whole verse. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, this is God talking, I have taken it out of your hand. God has taken the wrath of your sin out of your hands. And you gotta, i got to add an if there, if you choose to follow him, if you choose to receive him. He's taken the cup out of your hand, the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup my, of my fury, so shall you no longer drink it. So you don't have to drink of the cup of the wrath of God's fury. He said he's taking it out of your hands. He's going he's to drink every drop. That's what dreg means, drop. He's going to lick the cup. It's completely dry. There's nothing that he can come against you with. You are free. You are clean. Your spirit comes alive. And now you are a triune being serving God in Christ. And that message needs to go to all the world. He will drink it. He loves you so much, he took it for you, for you. And believe me, you, you, if you read the book, he was beaten, his beard was pulled out, his hair was pulled out, he was whipped with cat of nine tails, 39 times, says, says most scholars. I disagree with that. The Jews could only do it 40 times, or else the fifth, if he wasn't dead by then. Uh, this was Roman punishment. And that lector, you know what he wanted? He wanted a confession out of that guy. I did steal that loaf of bread. Or I, I'm not the son of God. And Jesus would never say it. I'm sure that lector was brokenhearted. Jesus should have been dead before he ever got to the cross. But he didn't have to die. He gave up the ghost. He didn't, he didn't just, he just didn't die. He gave it up willingly because he didn't have to die. He took it out of your hand, cat of nine tails. I don't know if you saw that bone and glass at the end of a, a nine tail leather whip that would have wrapped around his body and just tore him to shreds. And if one of those shreds happened to hit his face, that's why the Bible says in Isaiah that he was unrecognizable. And I've heard people condemn, you know, uh, Mel Gibson's passion movie. Oh, it's so gross. Listen, it was nothing, nothing like what Jesus went through. And he did it for you. He drank every drop. He licked the cup till it was dry. And our sins are forgiven. This little lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was an aw the awesome powerful God of all creation. Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible, the 12th verse, the last chapter in the Bible, the 12th verse says, here's what Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly. You know, the world was in sad shape when I was growing up, and it's in worse shape now. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And Jesus is saying, behold, I come quickly. We better get ready, church, and quit looking at things that we shouldn't look at. 
doing things we shouldn't do. We need to... That's why I taught last week's message. I wanted the reality to return to the people that have been serving the Lord for decades. The reality to come back in our hearts and realize who he was and what he did for us and how grateful we should be. Because as I was in the back while Matt was worshiping, tears, I, I said to God, I can't be separated from you. It would be hell. It would be hell. How, can you imagine that? I can't. I, 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 I spend eternity in hell? That message is not preached in a lot of churches today. Listen, Boston was converted over 50% born again when Jonathan Edwards' uh, uh, sermon was made, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. That was a, that was a fire, brim, fire and brimstone message, but the church don't want to hear that today. Why? You've got your neighbors, your mother, your dad. If I wasn't forceful with my... And, and my Christianity, my dad would be in hell, my mother might be in hell, my uncle in hell, my sisters. You know, we, you got to think, you got to, I looked it up years ago in a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, 1985 or so, before that, 1980 to 1985, there was this song out, it was called, I see, let me see through your eyes. If we could just see the world through God's eyes, for just one day, maybe we would preach the gospel more everywhere we go, me included. Because this world is lost. The Bible says that he would die. You can read that in Isaiah 53, Isaiah, or uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52 parts of it, Isaiah 51. You can read about, about the crucifixion, which was wasn't even invented yet when, these, when the psalmist David and when, when Isaiah was writing. It was 700, 750 years before crucifixion ever existed. That is described to a perfect detail. So that centurion, he's at the cross, at the crucifixion. He was the centurion's, the, the man in charge of 100 men. That means he was the captain, the, the head honcho. He saw probably hundreds of crucifixions. But with this one, he said, surely this is the Son of God. Why? You know why? Because even creation mourned. The rocks cracked. The sky darkened. Probably, it doesn't say in the Bible, but I can picture lightning flashing all over the place in the clouds. The wind blew. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, so opening access, that wall of separation, the door is now open for you to go in and, pre and, and receive salvation. Access to the very throne of God has been provided through Jesus. We can go right up to the throne of God himself and bow our knees and confess our sins and talk with your Savior. Surely this is the Son of God. A man that has seen hundreds die. Not like Jesus. Nobody ever died like Jesus.
your responsibility when you hear a message like this is to believe and be cleansed from your sin and its penalty, of course, which is eternal death. Adam and Eve weren't pleased, I'm sure, once they partook of that fruit. And now they could no longer see their creator face to face. Others don't believe, and their sins remain. And they walk around the earth with the stench of sin. Their spirit man dead, their soul man alive and well along with their flesh. But that soul belongs to God. And He wants it back, church. You gave it away to somebody else that didn't deserve it, nor can He take it. But He can lie to you and deceive you and make you think that. He can't take your soul. It belongs to God. So their sin remains. You have an open door and you have a closed door. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 7. He says, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are that find it. But the gate is broad that leads to destruction, and many thereby enter. So that tells you that if there's 7 billion people on the face of the earth, 3.5 billion, less than 3.5 billion are lost. They reject the gospel. The longer you reject the gospel, the harder your heart will get. Very few people of older age get saved. It's usually the younger generations because that sin and that hardness and that stench of sin that they just love just, it just controls them. It actually controls them. And there's, they reject the gospel and their sin remains, and their hearts are darkened. As I mentioned before, um, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul simplifies the gospel, and I'll read it for you. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. What he's saying, another version says, I have a message of great importance, which I also have received. That Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, and by the twelve apostles. And after that he was seen by five hundred brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remain to this present day, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, again, I might add. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one, one born out of time, for I am the least of the apostles and not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Listen, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And it comes with witnesses that, that can prove to you these people died for Jesus. 
because he's the truth and he is the door. Heaven awaits all of you who believe. If you don't believe, heaven doesn't wait. And if that belief is a head knowledge, you're not saved. God wants your heart. What did he tell Samuel when, when he was looking for a new king to replace Saul? He said, don't look at the outward appearance. I'm telling you, Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the inside appearance. And what did Saul, what did Samuel do? He went to the house of Jesse, and he got all the, the great guys, the tall guys, the handsome guys. Saul was said to be tall, muscular, you know, uh, handsome, humble, and Samuel's there, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him, all the way down the line. And then he says to Jesse, you sure you don't have another son? Otherwise, he missed God. They said, I got this little ruddy kid out in the field watching a few sheep. Send for him. And as soon as he saw him, boom. You know why? Because he wasn't looking at the outward appearance. Saul, muscular, handsome, humble. Saul actually turned out the exact opposite of that because, because man picked Saul and that their hearts just aren't where God's is. That's why I would like to see God, see the world through God's eyes. Your heart. So heaven awaits for all who believes, and I hate to say it, but hell awaits for all who don't. And I don't Take that back. It's the truth. I tell everybody in this, in this Bible, these are not stories you read about. These are truths. David did kill Goliath. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The sun did stop in the sky for 23 hours and 40 minutes. The sundial did go back 10 degrees, making up the other 20 minutes. The missing days that scientists can't find. They were, they were scientists, I don't know if you know it, but when they were shooting uh, rockets to, say, Mars or whatever, they, they calculated they would be off by one day. And they wouldn't hit the target. Until a Christian in a group says, well, there's a missing day in the Bible. And he pointed out those two instances that I just said. The sun in the sky while Joshua conquered the Amalekites stood still for 23, almost a day. Scientists say 23 hours and 40 minutes. The sundial going back 10 degrees, 20 minutes. That makes a full 24-hour day. When they calculated that into the scientific information, they were right where they were supposed to be because God controls the heavens and the earth. And he controls us all today. So, our eternity awaits. You get to see Jesus, your Redeemer, I can't wait to see Jesus, but I don't want it to be like right now. You know, I have, I have work to do. I'm still young in spirit, and I want to continue. So, you know, I, I don't believe we should retire, like you said there, like I said earlier. You know, I want to see Jesus in heaven. I can't wait to see his beautiful face. But, but we have work to do down here, and the church got to wake up and do it. We get to see heaven, and then, you know what Paul said about it in Corinthians. He says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for you who love him. You're going to be so shocked when we walk into the kingdom of heaven. 
we are going to be so shocked, the beauty of it. It's beyond your comprehension. You get to see your loved ones that passed before you. I got so many loved ones after 47 years in, in, in the kingdom. I can't wait to see them. They invested in my life. I'm the man that I am today because they invested in my life. And, and I hope to hear someday, well done, my good and faithful servant, and I want you to hear it. You over the internet, you here today, anybody that listens to this message on, on CD, I want you to hear it. You who do not believe, get ready to receive Jesus right now. We're going to take communion. We're going to take communion. Get ready to receive Jesus. When you, if you partake of that bread and cup unworthily, and really don't think nothing of what Jesus did for you, please don't take it. But if you're serious about, about receiving Christ as your Savior and going to heaven, then I want you to partake bread and the cup with us. And I want you to do it with your whole heart. That's what God's looking for. Men who serve him, and women who serve him with their whole heart. We're going to pass out the elements now. And, uh, and um, those online, get yourself some juice and, and some bread. And we're going to take the palace of communion. We're going to have fellowship with one another. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. Thank you, Brian. I'm going to do a reading, short reading. I don't want to spend too much time. A short reading, First Corinthians. Chapter 11. I'll start reading while it's still passing out. It's Paul talking to the Corinthian church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. Take, eat, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come. And this is my, what I was telling you, a little warning. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, 
and so let him eat of the bread and of the drink and a drink of the cup. This represents Jesus' broken body for your healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Let's partake together in remembrance of him. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. It's no longer a covenant, the old covenant of death. It's a covenant, it's a new covenant of life eternal. By receiving the blood of Christ, we're going to do this and remember of him. Let's drink together. Lord, thank you. Simple reminder of what you've done for us. Let us never forget Every time we eat, every time we drink, let us remember you. And Father, for those who have taken communion with a pure heart today that never have before, never received you as their Savior with their pure heart, let them respond and to us. Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. And tell us what they have done so we can rejoice with the angels in heaven who rejoice over them who receive Christ today as their Savior. And may you receive the glory, Father, for this service and everything we ever do may it be done to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Hope is in the promise of your blood, my support within the raging flood, even in the tempest I can sing. I'm hidden safe in the God who never moves, holding fast to the promise of your truth that you are holding tighter still to me.
you Jesus for the freedom that we've been given in you through the cross God not a, a freedom to sin but a freedom from sin and a freedom from the heavy all all types of bondages freedom from Satan freedom from demons freedom from legalism freedom from trying to uh, earn favor with you God through the law that we can never keep in the first place God 
And I just thank you so much for our freedom, God. I thank you for Freedom Church, that this is a place where freedom reigns because Jesus reigns in this place, God, as well. But even though that freedom reigns in this place and Jesus reigns in this church, we also know that Jesus reigns in our heart and freedom reigns in our hearts, God. And we pray like Paul told the Galatians that we would stand firm in that freedom and not become a, put ourselves back under a heavy yoke of bondage, God. Let us leave here today and continue to walk in that freedom, God. I thank you yes. that the freedom you have brought uh, in my life, God, through being here at this church, God. I thank you for the freedom we have to worship. I thank you for the freedoms we still have in this country, God. I thank you for the freedom to go out and share our faith with others, God. Help us to take full advantage of those freedoms, God, not to come under legalism, not to come under the bondage of sin, not to come under the bondage of fear, God, but to just go forth from this place free, God. Let everyone who's listening to this and the sound of my voice, let everyone who's here in this room just leave today with a sense of freedom. In Jesus' name, God, may you bless everyone. May you bless Pastor Joe and Liz. We thank you so much for their lives, God. We honor them, and we just thank you, God, for Freedom Church. But we, at the end of the day, God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming today. You're